Where Three Waters Meet A new collection of short stories written and read by author Sylvia Cullen based around the theme of survival. This series has been funded and supported by Wexford County Council in partnership with Creative Ireland. The second story in the series is called The Fever Wall. Josie was stood by the half door, sorting through the laundry, when she observed her eldest son, Moog, moving along the road home to Clahaman, staggering. Tightening her grip on the shirt she was holding, his good white Sunday shirt, she shaded her eyes with her right hand and watched him closely. Moog was taking his usual path along the banks of the Slaney. He'd been gone since early morning for the milking of the cows at the big house, where she herself was laundress. She studied his faltering gait now and felt a gut-wrenching fear grab hold of her insides. He was crashing into the gorse bushes and briars alongside the river, falling forwards and correcting himself then, incapable of taking more than a few steps until he'd go staggering again, clutching his wide-awake hat to his head and now leaning down upon his fighting stick a sight she had never before witnessed in the fourteen years of his life. She called Sarah and bid her gather the other four chaps and take them up right this minute into the woods. They could pick flowers, they could gather up sticks for the fire, but they must stay gone. She had dealings with Moog and was not to be disturbed. Sarah looked at her fearfully, recognising the same expression as last year during the great frost of 1740, when the Slaney froze over completely and their father went missing. Calling for her three sisters, Sarah lifted up her baby brother, not yet a year, and together the crowd of them set off, leaving behind the thatched house with its wisp of turf smoke, its whitewashed mud and straw walls, and its flower garden, with her mother standing grey-faced in it. Moog approached, staggering still. For a moment Josie prayed he'd been given whisky by the steward or maybe some of the other farm labourers had offered him a feed of porter. Folding the last few garments Josie warned herself to forget about drink. She'd seen this stagger before when the hunger came in last autumn bringing the famine fever in its wake. Stories from all across the county and beyond of men and women unable to stand up straight burning and shivering going about like relics from an open grave. Her own son was now one such, and if he stepped inside, they'd all catch it and her whole family would be swept. Where could she put her boy and still tend him? Moog was almost at the garden gate, his face pale like the inside of a cut potato, his body hunched and his eyes huge as he trained his sight on his mother. Stop there, son. It has me by the throat. Stay where you are. They'd had words and parted on bad terms that morning, him galloping out the door, unwashed and half-dressed. The cut of him had pained her and she roared after him as he ran off towards Bunclody, not giving a curse what she thought. He was only going to milk cows, not stepping out to a wake or a wedding breakfast. A longing swept over her now to tussle his hair and embrace him the way she would have liked to have done that morning. Past time for that now, she daren't touch him. 
What about that story she'd heard from over Kilmichael Way about the husband who'd tried to cure his wife of the fever by putting her all alone into a hastily made hut of mud and gorse bushes? The man placed it at an angle to the ditch on the edge of the field. Kept in there, she was helpless, isolated from all humanity, but unable to spread the disease. A living, lonesome death. And die she did in the end. Still, it was all Josie could think of now, only she had a better idea than a tent of furs. Go on inside and down to the end room. Moog looked at her, shaking. She nodded, gesturing towards the half-door, her eyes moistening against her will. The lad staggered inside to the furthest bedroom, crumpling like an infant onto the straw bed. Fetching two pails of water, Josie pushed a half-cupful towards him with the broom and bid him drink to quench his thirst. Over the lip of the cup, his hazel eyes glittered. Outside in the lean-to, she built up her first armful of turf, the black-brown sod smelling good against the sleeves of her blue dress. Carrying them inside, Josie stood on the open threshold of the end room, where no door had ever been hung, and began to build. She rambled on about the vegetables and flowers in her little garden, as Moog lay stretched below her, disappearing now behind the growing wall of turf. Up and up Josie piled the sods, until she was obliged to fetch the little three-legged stool. Just before she was to block him from her sight completely, she spoke through her teeth against the torrent of feeling crushing her. You're to lie there and not stir, do you hear me? You'll burn off that fever until I can get the doctoring man to attend you. Mo gawped, only now fully registering the height of the turf wall. His mind was alarmed, looking around his bedroom prison, bare but for the night pail in the corner. Mother and son's eyes filled. No words would come. Josie shuddered, very nearly unbalancing on the little stool, not wanting to slot in the final few sods. Surely this was an unnatural way to care for the sick. No matter, it was the only method she'd heard of that might be life-saving. If he could cling on till the medic arrived, she would see him and enfold him in her arms again. Her firstborn, light of her life. Josie pushed the last few sods into position and blocked her son from view completely. Stepping back from the brown wall, afraid to think of what she might find the day of its removal, her throat contracted in terror. Turning on her heel, she made for the kitchen. Passage to Canada wasn't easily got, but she had some of their fare saved. Now, as she counted out the coins, Josie knew that dream was dented. She called frantically for Sarah and sent her running with half the doctor and man's fee. Surely that would persuade him to come and see the boy, if he wasn't already called to some other case. Word had it that Ferns and Ballycarney were took bad, in the grip of famine fever so severe that people there were already naming 1741 as the year of slaughter. For two beleaguered nights, her vigil was cruel. All the chaps were banished to the kitchen, warned to eat their flummery and not stir towards the two bedrooms. Josie had moved her bed of straw to the threshold of the end room, alongside the fever wall. 
deep sleep would not be coming to her, so she sat upright mostly, calling her son's name and listening for the answer that never came, making do with the series of groans and fast whispers that told her he was alive yet. And still no sign of the medic. By the third night, when he began thrashing violently about, she cooed soothingly. Mo, she called him, his pet name. Through the peat wall she began whispering then, reminding him of how her world had changed forever the day he was born. It was those huge hazel eyes that had floored her, his father weeping, overwhelmed as he took up the babe into his arms, and she still reeling in the bed, unable to stop smiling, the fever of childbirth passing and the haze of motherly love settling over her, the best kind of happiness. On the other side of the turf she pictured him now, wretched, sour-breathed and sweat-soaked. This was surely the worst kind of torture. A while later, darting awake, there was a blueness in the sky and a thrush making a racket. Moog? No answer. Mo, can you hear me? She put her hands to the turf wall and could sense him twisting about on the bed. Closing her eyes to listen, Josie could tell he was in the full grip of a high fever still. Next of all, he began gibbering, raving about his father. She tried singing one of the songs he used to love as a young garçon. Through the wall, he moaned in anguish as if her voice was pure torment to his overheated head. Shouting for Sarah, Josie ordered her to go again to the doctor and man and give him another quarter of his fee in advance and beg him on her two knees to come back with her that instant before her brother was doomed. Sarah ran, pulling eleven-year-old Kathleen with her out the door, leaving the six-year-old and three-year-old sisters minding the baby. Josie let a roar at them crowding round the kitchen door and they closed it over with a bang. The baby started bawling and Josie ground her teeth. No stir, not a sign of a neighbour coming near. How could she blame them? Doubtless they'd seen him staggering too and would stay well clear. Same as they didn't want to chance treading on the frozen Slaney last year. Worried the ice would give way and they'd be lost forever too, like her poor John. So John's mother had tied a rope around her waist and stepped out onto the icy river. Josie had held it and walked along in parallel on the riverbank. The stillness of that ice walk came back to her now. That time had been dreadful. This time she was alone. Josie heard the sound of a sup of water. Listen to me now, Mo. His breaths came furiously as she leaned in against the wall of sods and let the words fall, hoping they'd register somewhere in his distracted mind. Think of your grandmother now, night and day out walking the frozen river, even when I could no longer be with her, even though she didn't have much time left herself, searching on till she found your father's body. You have to find her strength inside in you. She braved the winter ice. You must burn off this heat. Her son's breathing quickened and Josie heard a moan released. Or maybe you can recall all those good times in the Slaney, at your swimming, the dips you used love taking with the other lads. Place yourself there with your father at the fishing. 
go back to our own little spot opposite the island, where the river turns and breaks in two at Clahaman. I'd carry you there in my arms, when there was only the pair of us, and we'd dip our toes in the cool stream, watching the ducklings try and steer a course next to their mother. Keep yourself beside me now in your mind, son. The doctor and man is coming. Hold on. Turning away, Josie leaned her forehead against the rough whitewashed wall and let the sob come, let loose the pain making a stone in her throat. She heard the kitchen door opening a crack. Barking, she bid them keep away. In the silence following, she heard the words, Only the man's after coming with his bag. Bolting, Josie ran to the window pane in the first bedroom, just in time to see him descend from his fine white mare. Shook looking, she thought to herself, not as haughty as the last time they'd met when he'd pronounced her husband dead. The chaps had all run out into the flower garden looking, but she bid them go further, right down into the haggard. They didn't need to bear witness to this. I am forbidden to cross your threshold, Mrs Nolan. She nodded, already aware of the next step. Returning from the lean-to with an iron hammer, she thanked him for coming and he acknowledged her payment in advance, coughing and dabbing at his brow, removing his wide-brimmed hat. Josie beckoned him follow her around to the gable end and once there pointed to what she thought was a suitable spot. He made a face and selected a more central site, towing at the mud wall with his boot. Shrugging, Josie decided he'd seen far more crawl holes than she and lost no time starting to hammer away. The wall crumbled easily and began to split and break into lumps of brown earth. John was the last person to touch this wall, she thought. He had built it by himself, and she pictured his shy smile the day he took his hands down from her eyes and showed her his handiwork. Now she hacked at it until the space was just wide enough for the medic to crawl through. Hurry, sir, please. You might save him yet. The doctor removed his hat and frock coat, laying them carefully over the saddle. His blue eyes streamed and glistened in the bright morning sunlight. You did the right thing isolating him. However, I offer you no guarantees and I will take my full fee. Wearily, he pushed his bag through and sighed. Whatsoever house I may enter, my visit shall be for the advantage of the patient. Easing down onto his hands, he wriggled in through the space in the wall, dragging his bag after him. Josie stood vigil in the May sunshine. Surrounded by bluebells shaking in the breeze, she threw the hammer aside and hunkered down, keeping her eyes fixed on the gloom beyond the crawl hole. An age seemed to pass. No sounds from inside, for good or bad. Would Moog be spared? Had she done enough to help him fight? Rocking gently for something to do, her heart felt fit to burst. The medic's head reappeared and out he crawled. Josie put her fists to her face as he emerged. There was no need for me, Mrs Nolan. She gasped out of her mind. No, the doctor cried. The fever has relapsed. He's getting the cool. The illness has passed. He smiled and mopped his brow. You may go round and knock down the fever wall. 
racing inside, Josie clawed at the sods of peat in a frenzy. Stepping through them, she fell to her knees beside her recovering boy, while the golden particles of turf dust came floating down over them. Outside, from the haggard, the chaps watched the medic drag himself onto his mare and away. It was days before Josie heard the news of his demise. Even though he hadn't been needed, she still attended his wake. When she whispered her name and passed the small cloth bag of coins owed to his widow, no figure of speech could convey her feelings. Here the doctor was, laid out, having given his all to save his patients. While at home, her son was edging back to the whole of his health.